0: Welcome to Running On Purpose, a weekly podcast dedicated to training the body, the mind, and the soul for what the race requires. My name is Steve, and I shall be your host. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Running On Purpose podcast. I'm here with Kristen. Why, hello. Aw, damn, what is that?
1: Well, we got a new... um Black box thingy with lots of buttons.
0: A new recording mixer for uh-huh. our podcast episodes.
1: Yeah, so it has this nifty little little thing. So every time you say,
0: my Hi, name, Kristen, how are you today? I can, I can do that. I think our listener base is going to be just completely wowed by our sophistication and the level of, uh, of production value we have on this podcast.
1: It's next level shit.
0: Well, hopefully, after last week's debacle with our uh, mixing and matching, and typically folks can't hear Kristen, and this time last week was that a thing? Yeah, well, they couldn't hear your voice very well. They would they would talk about it just because you're so soft spoken. But I also think it's because my setup wasn't quite right. And then when I changed things over last week, you were really perfect. Um, Um, People were saying that your voice was dead on, and they couldn't hear me, Mm. um, which almost everyone appreciated greatly. So. (laughs) <laughs> uh, anyway, it just I knew I was needing new equipment and it was time to step up. We've made a commitment to being in this game uh for at least another 50 episodes. So, um here we are. Plus I also use this recording uh stuff for a week two other weekly podcasts I produce that are training related. So, um yeah, it's a good expense. Anyway, hopefully people will hear us better and hopefully it will uh, limit at least the technical cringing that people might do. They may still cringe over uh, uh, our I'm content. I'm sure we'll give
1: them enough to cringe about.
0: <laughs> and we are still explicit. We are definitely explicit. Are we? Fuck yeah, we are. Cool. Anyway. All right, so what's our topic this week, Kristen? What are we talking about?
1: So today we're talking about, dum-dum-dum, the long run, which I'm really excited
0: about. Yeah, I am too. Why? Are you so, why are you so excited about it?
1: Well, right now I'm sort of in like, a flow space with running and long runs just got reintroduced into my training schedule and I'm having a lot of fun and experiencing new benefits from them in the sense that I haven't done them in so long. And so I'm, you know, after those first few, the physiological adaptations that happen and anyway, I have a new appreciation for them.
0: So I guess that kind of leads us into this first question, which is, what even is a long run? Like, what constitutes a long run? I, I think that that's, from your perspective, when, I, when we say long run, what are you thinking about? What, what makes you, wh- wh- how would you describe it, or, or at least define that? Mileage-wise? I, I'm just saying, what is a long run? So that's up to you. How do you want to answer that question?
1: I mean, I think of a long run... Is anything over 18, 18 being like the super low end of a long run.
0: And I, I want to remind our listeners that Kristen is absolutely marathon-centric. So Oh,
1: yeah, I've never done anything else, so I don't, I don't know. If, I guess if you're an 800-meter runner, you probably don't need to run.
0: Well, we're going to talk about that in a little bit, but I do think that that's why it's important to define this because, uh, you know, from my perspective, a long run is anything that's about – 25% or more of your weekly volume. I would then call that kind of a long run. But that's kind of even using technical jargon for something that really is sort of a weekly committed time to running at a rel- usually relatively slower and u- or at least relatively at an easy pace. I wouldn't say slower is probably not the right term, but generally it's for somebody, it's someone who's running um, an easy pace for longer than they normally run on their other days. Most often happens on a weekend. We like to talk about the church of the long run. Church of the long run is sort of that space that you get into when um, you're with a community, you're with other people, and something happens over a certain distance or because it's the weekend or wh- because or you're because with your you're people. because you're the only
1: idiots out at five in the morning on a Saturday.
0: And it's the time that you always run with other people. And there's just some kind of, special aura to it that makes it a long run Um, but we're going to talk today uh, a little bit about that a little bit about the the mystical woo-woo part of it but a lot more about what it really constitutes and the reason why we had two reasons we wanted to create this episode right now first as Kristen said she's starting to feel her long runs and we were talking on a run about how important they were to her development and we'll talk a little bit more about long-run adapters and how people deal better with that. Um, but I also just did a podcast episode two episodes ago talking about weekly volume. And in that, I talked about the importance of the long run and how the long run sat in there. And it made me realize we probably could break this out as its own episode and talk a bit more about it. So that's where we're at with it. And we're going to go through a number of different things. Um, some things to expect here is we're going to kind of break down why it matters going to talk a little bit about what happens in the long run physiologically. Some of that will be a a review of two weeks ago's episode. Um, Then we're going to talk about the difference between long run adapters and what I call long run people who break down on long runs and who can't handle them very well. Um, Then we're going to kind of go through really what the race requires aspects of the long run, like why it matters to specific distances and what challenges might come up because of that and finally we're going to go into um kind of a discussion about um because this is something that comes up all the time in conversations i have with athletes that i coach who have been working in other systems and they're going to say well my old coach did this and so i just decided since one of the most popular programs that I have athletes join my group from is the Hanson's group and the Hanson's are well known for having a 16 mile long run as their longest long run even for marathoners in most cases so I wanted to talk about why I didn't think that was sound and maybe not because I don't I have a huge respect for the Hanson system and um, the two Hansen brothers who started that and Luke Humphries he's sort of the the man who's running in that program now they're fantastic coaches but I disagree with them on the long run. And so we'll kind of break that down a little bit. And then we'll wrap up with a little bit of a kumbaya holding hands, talking about what the wonderful things about the long run do and maybe the ways they feed their, your soul and they feed your community and those other pieces.
1: I kind of want to spend the whole episode talking about that.
0: Well, let's get done with this other shit real quick so we can get to that point. All right, moving on. So, Kristen, let's talk a little bit about what... um like why the long run matters. Uh, so it, in my system, I like to tell athletes that work with me that in my viewpoint, the marathon, I mean the the long run for every distance, whether you are a 800-meter runner all the way up to an ultra-marathoner, that the long run is the most important run of the week.
1: Even more important than your quality workout?
0: In my opinion, way more important. In fact, I would say that I would put it at I would argue that you would do a long run every week, and I wouldn't argue for a quality every week. Um, in fact, sometimes for people who are at a lower volume weekly volume, somebody who's below fifty miles a week, I might I recommend a medium long run, something that's sort of intermediate distance to 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 do. More importantly than the quality, um, yeah. So yeah, that's what I that's what I say.
1: Well, you also often will have athletes who are like cooked. As you like to say, only do the long run and, and skip the quality workout. Why is that?
0: Well, it's the same reason why I think the long run is the most important thing. It's that oxygenation. Um, well, let me answer your question first. So the answer to your question is when we have somebody who's cooked, who's a little bit on the overtrained side, someone who's anemic, somebody who has a problem with w- recovering and being ready for hard quality workouts, what I have found is that they just need some aerobic flushing. They need to oxygenate all of their working muscles. Oxygen helps repair, recuperate, recover the blood flow that runs through your body. People talk about movement equals blood flow equals healing. Why is that? Because oxygen heals your working muscles. It helps them recover and recuperate. So they're, they're also the, the pathways, this blood and these oxygen is the pathway for creating a whole bunch of other hosts of physiological benefits that happen, and most of those physiological benefits happen when you're running easy. When you do your quality work, you're actually chopping away at many of the gains that you've tried to make. To get specific for a race, you're going to do work that's faster paced and that moves into the anaerobic zone. Once you move into the anaerobic zone, you're throwing a lot of stress on your body. And aerobic running seems to provide to, to, to give you way less stress. In fact, it's almost to, some people will argue that 90 minutes is when stress starts to hit you in a long run. I really think it's like two hours for most people that they can go two hours before they start to have sort of pounding-related issues. So if you think about that, 90 minutes to two hours is a long time to get huge benefits for this aerobic development that's so crucial and important for recovery and so crucial and so important for your building your mitochondria, all these other things that we're going to talk about in a second for what goes on physiologically. So yeah, long runs are key. And in my opinion, the most important thing that you can do. um, And I would say that the second most important thing people could do is their easy general runs because of all of that work. And then we'll talk in a second about how long runs can be stressful on your body and why those easy recovery runs are important. And um, yeah, so why we do – why long runs matter is because they are the most important run for every run distance, not just for marathoners, for every run distance. And the benefits, as I just alluded to, four of them are so great, um, and they're so great for every race distance. I, I really I want to highlight this particular point specifically. Um, 1956 or 7 to 1964, the best – 800 meter runner in the world was Peter Schnell, who recently passed away. He lived in a he lived in Dallas. Um, he's an exercise physiologist. Uh, he um, ran what I would consider still the fastest, well, probably in the top ten fastest 800 meters of runs of all time, because he did this in non technical spikes um, and on a on a cinder track, and he was running times that would be would put him in the finals of the olympic games today even um this many years later 40 years later no 60 years later and the state he was his coach with arthur Lydiard, who many people know Lydiard was is absolutely famous for two basic things number one his long run and or aerobic development people call it long slow distance lsd that's where not the psychoactive drug but the long slow distance running that he became known for even though that wasn't a staple really of his program he did some long slow runs but he did a lot of long hard runs too so there was a huge mix there but Arthur Lydiard was absolutely instrumental for a sea change in number one how people trained and number two the way they trained in terms of periodization Um, that's another topic for another day periodization but Peter Schnell Greatly benefited from that. He was an 800-meter runner, 1,500-meter runner, best in the world at his time. He did 20-mile hilly long runs every week, Kristen, every week. And I think that, yes, you can't take one case and extrapolate this one person all the way down the line for every person, but it does make the argument for why people who are running 800 to 1,500 meters should at least consider a long run. I think Peter Chanel was a particularly good adapter. He, ad- he adapted well to that work, um, and we're going to talk about that again in a second. But I think that it, it's just the long run matters so, so much. And if you're running a race distance of 10,000 or half marathon or marathon, I mean, not only is it important for the physiological benefits you get, it's important for the specificity of the race that you're running. So anyway, those are sort of um, – the main reasons, and then finally, like I said, the specificity of what race. There are special concerns for marathoners in terms of running a long run. Like there's, it is a non-negotiable item, and there's no real question about what needs to be done. Um, I mean, we're going to have some arguments about how some groups do it and how other groups do it, but um, the long run is just really important.
1: It does seem interesting to me that, or not interesting, but weird, and I. W- wonder what your take is on this that I make the assumption that as marathon runners we like to run long but it it so often seems that people are trying to find ways to not run long do you know what I mean like like all of the shortcuts I think that people sometimes try to take um like the 16 mile long runs or how can I do fewer of them or whatever it is but it And it just seems like we so often look to the elites for what they're doing with regard to fueling and shoes. God, don't get us started on the shoe topic. But, I mean, the elites are running long, long runs every week.
0: Yeah, they are. Most of them are. Multiple.
1: I mean, I know we don't have the time or even sometimes the physical ability to run, you know, 20 miles a day, obviously, but... I don't know, I think we should be looking to that patterning for yeah, our own the training. Yeah, there's a
0: model there, right? That's what you're saying that there there, there, yeah. there are models out there for why this is. And you're right, they they do run um the elites do run long long runs most of them. Um there's a not, there's a whole crew of elite runners who don't do long runs though, who sort of don't r- they they keep their weekly mileage at say 90 to 100 miles a week and they keep it even all the way across.
1: So they would do like Twenty a day or something.
0: Well, and that well, that would be way more than. Um, well, I guess so. Yeah, so it would be more like thirteen. If they're doing ninety miles a week, they'll they may run like a fifteen mile long run, um, but they'll run at a ten miles on an easy on one easy day, and then every other day will be like 13, 12 to thirteen miles. Um, and the reason they're doing that is because they've got this idea that there's not as much. They're because they're not running a marathon, and the specificity of that event does isn't required, that what they're looking that that stressor would be too great. And we'll talk about that with the Hanson's model. that's one of their arguments that it takes a lot to recover from a longer run like that of of twenty miles plus. And so why would they waste oppor- mileage opportunities if they're getting the same bang for the buck? Um, and there's an argument about whether they are getting it um, from a physiological perspective, but it's a it's not a poor theory. um but I think it kind of I I think that there's something that we all know, those of us who have run for a long time, and and maybe even those of you who are just sort of getting started a year or two years in, there's something really special about the long run. Like there's some kind of ritual and experience of it that makes it really special. But marathoners have specific concerns for um, their long run, and... You know, we're going to talk about what the actual cost of this specificity is in a little bit when we use the Hansons versus um, our model. But yeah, so that's why it matters. Um, And now we want to talk a little bit about what happens, what's going on physiologically when you do the long run. Because, okay, we can make the argument that it's uh, it's a wonderful experience and we can make the argument that there were other people out there. There are people out there that you can look at who do it and therefore you should. But perhaps we should look at The science, what is the evidence point to in terms of the benefits of a long run? Um, And this is a, you know, this is in lieu of easy running. Well, I am talking about this in the context of easy running. But I talked about this two weeks ago in the episode, um, really shortly on the episode on on why, uh, what your weekly mileage should be in sweet spot. But there's basically a few things that happen with your body physiologically. Number one, your heart. Has to work hard, um, and it's working harder than it is when it's sitting down. So it creates a greater level of stroke volume. Stroke volume is the body's ability, is the heart's ability to pump oxygen out to the working muscles. Um, and when we st- when we look at heart rate, people talk about doing heart rate training. Um, they're talking about how many beats the heart makes, but they're not talking about how much blood is pushed out of the heart, and that's a much more important indicator of fitness and so easy running really helps with getting your heart to have a better stroke volume at more at layer lower levels of pushing at slower paces which then helps you um, helps that sort of it's like repetition gets better and better and better at it
1: so to be clear though you're talking about in the context of long runs for this episode we are only talking about easy long runs Correct, not long runs with workouts?
0: No, we're going to talk about long runs with workouts in terms of the question of specificity and where specificity sits, but Got it. But basically that there is this benefit in the long run because most of them are done easy for most people. In fact, uh, I would say most training groups out there, most the people listening to this podcast are probably doing mostly easy long runs, and so these benefits physiologically are greater stroke volume, you're also building a greater level of capillary density. Your capillaries carry that oxygen um, out to the working muscles. You've got, you're building way more mitochondria. Mitochondria are growing. Mitochondrias are the powerhouses of your cell. Blah, 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 right? Like, we're told this all the time, and I get tired of it. But I get tired of it because I talk about it in a way that I don't understand, not because I don't understand the physiology, but because I'm not looking under a microscope. <laughs> I'm not in the testing facilities where they're doing these things. And so I'm just taking it in a lot of ways on faith that these are the things that happen, but it seems to be. So um, scientists have done this, this, these tests, so therefore it must. But I know I get the feeling of that, right? When I run longer, I know that there are some real significant benefits that are happening. Um the other thing that's really important about what happens physiologically when you're running long runs is you get better at running long runs. You were talking about this. Like what is it when you get to like 16 or 18 miles while you get all rickety and crickety? Like there's some sort of threshold for people when they get to a certain distance that their body starts to like go, ah.
1: Yeah, or just like easy easy things. Um, I did my first 20-mile run in a long time a, a few weeks ago. And the bottoms of my feet were hurting, like, like, as if someone had, was slapping the skin, it was really weird, they were, anyway, it was something that I had forgotten about that happens for your first few long runs, when you either have never done them, or haven't done them in a long time, and, uh, that's something I would not, and I don't think it happened until, like, mile like, 19, and... I would not want to experience that for the first time in a marathon, like in a race.
0: Yeah, and think about those folks who are just beginner marathoners as they start up. Yeah, like what if
1: you don't know that that's just the road slapping your feet and you think you're getting injured so you stop? Or I don't know, like I think about all the things that could cross your mind if that just snuck up on you.
0: Well, how many of us as runners have heard from other people, my knees hurt when I run? Well, it's because these folks, not because there's anything wrong with the knee, the knee is wonderfully made. It is (laughs) just... And, and it Your is hips. and is designed <laughs> to take that kind of pounding. It's that there, because those knees haven't done that pounding before, it just takes a little while to get used to it. Yeah. I have problems with my hips more than anything else. They get rickety and crickety. And that's because maybe my glutes aren't firing and I'm not staying tall enough and I can change my mechanics and there's, yeah, I'm getting old. That I shit.
1: just, I just like air spelled that <laughs> you guys can't see, <laughs> but I had to remind him. Yeah.
0: So, um, yeah, so there's this specificity of running long that for marathoners is really, really important. So if you're running, if you're a half marathoner, then you know, l- running longer than, you know, 13 or 14 or 15 miles may not be as critical or crucial for you. Um, but I think most of our listeners are at least thinking about a marathon. And um so that's another reason why the long run is so important for um them, because of the specificity of the race. And then finally, Kristen. There's another physiological reason why long runs are so important, and that's how we deal with fueling, especially both for marathoners and for every distance. So, what's up with that?
1: As far as how you are fueled for, mm-hmm. um, what what are you?
0: What is happening in a long run that's that you're adapting to?
1: Well, fat adaptation for one. Assuming, pause, assuming that you are not for every single long run taking 825 sugar packets or whatever.
0: Um, That's a specific number, 825.
1: I'll get off my soap, my (laughs) tiny little (laughs) soapbox on that. Um, No, so ideally, so if your body's capacity to store glycogen is between five and 600 grams, um, you'll deplete that in an hour and a half to two hours, depending. So if you're running longer than that, you are spending some time... um, forcing your body to run on its fat, fat stores. So any anytime that you spend running long, you're getting better and better at, at being a more fat adapted runner, or at least making that transition smoother, um, versus, you know, the first two or three times that you do it might be really, really hard, but if you do it consistently, um, ideally anyway, it gets, it gets easier and easier.
0: Yeah, you know, I used to – I've done a lot of long runs in my 50 years of living, 45 years of running. And I, I, you know, after – at a certain point, I was taking gel always as soon as they came out. Before that, I was looking for – I would take cane. Did you? I didn't know that. Well, just because I thought that you were supposed to because marathoners did. So Mm. I just thought, well, if you can use glycogen, you should. And I had this crazy idea that – but wait a second, we all run out of fuel. Like what – that is what – Like There's a lot of argument about what is the wall because the wall is just a term that kind of came out in the 1970s to discuss the epic suck that happened somewhere around 20 miles. And so people just called it, there's a wall at 20 miles. And now there's a lot of thought that that's probably a nutritional situation, that that's just sort of where you talked about the 90 minutes to two hours is when a lot of people run out of the fat fuels that they already have in their system. And so, and there's an idea here that, even if you do continue to throw gel into your body that essentially eventually your body is going to sh- tip over into fat fuel burning because of a evolutionary habit that we have that when we're out that long not habit but an evolutionary adaptation as we've been when we're out over a certain distance, our body didn't used to carry lots of really ready made sugars to go on extended trips that we took when we were you know hundred and thousand a hundred and fifty thousand years four hundred thousand years ago, so you know, we're at fat adapted at a certain point, our body just naturally shifts to that, whether or not we're taking the fuel or not. And so my idea was, hey, we should start working on not taking fuel So I came up with these ideas of not doing fueled long runs and now seem to be an incredibly popular thing. Um I remember going to the University of Texas's sports science um department and they were testing their own drinks for runs of in a distance and I remember saying that I was having my athletes do non-nutrition runs, and the physiologist there, Dr. Eddie Coyle, who's one of the great physiologists in the world, was like, why the hell are you doing that? Like, if you could take the fuel, why wouldn't you take the fuel? And I was like, well, because he said you're going to run out of it, yes, but you can take as much as you can. And I'm like, yeah, but you're in a lab. You're not, like, out there putting the miles in and – I see what happens when people aren't ready for that shift.
1: Well, I think there's a there's a medium there, right, which w- we can talk about all this on another episode, but I think there's there's some there's a middle distance in that you don't have to be either or, but it does certainly serve you to practice both. It serves your best interest to practice unfueled run so that you become better at switching fuel sources and then also practice um using using gels and goos and things like that because if you do have it available, why not use it if it boosts performance? But
0: Yeah, that was Dr. Coyle's argument.
1: Yeah, and I and I and I'm an advocate of that. I'll take them why don't take them during long runs, but when I race again I'll I'll take one or two, but I don't think that I think Depending on how long you're running.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't uh, take any fuel now on any runs, and I only fuel during races of marathon distance or longer. And even then, now I'm wondering, it's like, should I even? But I don't, because again, we, that's another whole topic that we probably don't need to go down. The thing is, is that the long run is when we're having these conversations. Like, like there's no need for you to be taking Joe on a 10-mile run, right? Um, if you are, you need to stop. That's just silly business. There's zero reason I for you. I know
1: who you're talking to.
0: Yeah, and I'm not talking to one person. I, in my 25 years of coaching, I have seen lots and lots of people do it, and I think a lot of people are still doing it. And I just think that there's there's no real reason for you to do that. Um, so save your money and save the calories. And there might be a particular circumstance where someone has got a need for that. But anyway, we're not talking fueling. It just there's just a a tendency whenever you talk about long runs to start talking about fueling
1: i want to talk about all the things about long runs keep going
0: well let's talk about the next part which i think is um something i've noticed over the last four to five years a lot with the athletes that i'm coaching um is that there are I'm, i'm seeing there's a lot of people there are a number of people out there who need to do long runs because they're just really good at, they're like what I'm calling long run adapters, like they need a long run in order to get fit, you're one of them Kristen, it was, we were watching you train over the last year and a half where we were trying to keep the long runs down and maybe pick up the speed a little bit and try to play with a couple of other modalities because your body wasn't entirely right, it wasn't feeling incredibly good and we weren't seeing benefits but we added a long run back in and whoosh you took off. Talk a little bit about what that experience is and whether you think maybe you are a long-run adapter or is this something that you need in order to be um, at your best?
1: I mean, I definitely do. I can't, I mean, I'm that way, though, with mileage in general. I'm, my body doesn't sit well at the 50 to 60 mark but is really happy at 70 to 80. Um. And then with long runs, it's like everything just sort of clicks for me. After the first couple, the first couple are kind of hard. But after that, it's like, I don't know physiologically what's happening. Maybe you could answer that question. But um, yeah, it's like things just start clicking and making sense. And I'm seeing the gains from the workout earlier in the week. So if we have a Tuesday workout and I have a few days to recover and I take my recovery days very seriously. I run significantly slower than MGP on recovery day, so if I run like literally
0: two or three minutes slower. Mm-hmm. Well, you don't do it the whole time. You a lot of times you'll pick the pace up as you get going, but you know it and does it does depend. Yeah, it, and it if we're d- running on the trail, you're definitely running slower.
1: Yeah, um, but so I've had all these days to rest and sort of make some adaptations um, to the wor- from the workout. A few a few days before so then when I show up on long run day it's like every day it feels like a like a new boost Mm. like a almost like I'm a different person than the week before like I can map out my progress on my long runs
0: yeah so that's like that you are what I would call what I'm seeing is this fat adapter and I don't really know exactly why that happens you know I'm not in the lab so I think it could be genetics. You know, I think there's some people who are are specifically better at that fast twitch muscle fiber, you know, ratio. They just have a much higher level of fast twitch muscle fiber. And so they're better. Sorry, slow twitch muscle fiber. So they're much, much better at dealing with that. Um, It could be that they're better at they're better fat adapt they're better fat adapted so they have a better I think a lot of wi- some women are this way they they can shift to their fat burning fuel much more quickly and they're not running on that glycogen fuel so fast and so because of that they start to get more benefits out of the long run and they don't they they don't drop off at some critical juncture ninety minutes into a run and so they get a lot more physiological benefits because of that could be that there's some of that going on
1: yeah, I think it's different for every person I mean, I have some teammates who do just as well as I do with long runs and then some who really you know like to keep it on the shorter end or have a who struggle more with it and I think it's I think the most important thing is one finding your set point understanding where you operate the easiest like optimally w- yeah like what is your what is your best space mentally and in your heart and physically and then pushing those edges a little bit right like i don't i'm trying to think of what i'm trying to say here which is i like long steady runs
0: you love the grind there's a lot of people who love the grind
1: but i hate like i can run um let's just throw out two. like i could run a 615 mile and i could run a 645 mile But if you ask me to gear change between those, I'm going to have a very hard time doing it. But if you ask me to run steady at 645, I could do that for a long time. Does that make sense? Yeah. And and so because I'm bad at gear change, I play with, I have to push those edges and play with gear change. So if the long run is something that you really struggle with and that you have a hard time with, say, over 16 miles or whatever, push, push on those edges some. Where it's slightly uncomfortable until you can get better at it, right?
0: Yeah, it's my experience that most people are long run adapters or slight adapters. Most people get better and better and better the longer and longer they run. Um, and we're going to talk a second in a second about where this line of, um, you know, where you where the line is where you might not get the benefits from it from a from a run long run distance slash time on your feet. But I do think most people are at least slight adapters where they get a lot, they get the physiological benefits. Now, I do have groups of people that I work with, though, who seem to be what I call long-run breakdowners. <laughs> they, they break down on long runs. And that the, the way that their body is functioning and the way their body works, it could, again, be genetics. They may be a higher fast-twitch fiber um, percentage, and then it doesn't benefit them to be running so much in the slow twitch zone and so they can get more benefit from their training by staying at what they're good at and it could be that there's also a question here of age. I do that think that when people get to the point of about 50 55 years old that maybe the long runs um, are more detrimental to the to the bones and the muscular structure or it could be that we just don't recover as quickly. As we, get, as we age, and so that there seems to be, as people get over a certain age, more of a, of a cost to that long run. That's beyond the 18-mile point, where we need to start thinking, okay, if you're not going to run a marathon, then there's no need to go over that distance. You should really stay below it, and if you are running a marathon, then we need to talk about your particular case, and what are we going to do with that, um, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit, in just a second, when we use the Hanson's model se- situation, so I think that those are key things, is get to know yourself, as Kristen was saying, like, What's your personal preference, and what do you find by paying attention to your body that you benefit from? If you're not doing long runs, start. Y- you're going to get a good benefit. If you don't know how to start, start at 25% of your overall weekly mileage. So if you're running, you know, 20 miles a week, then you should be doing somewhere around 5 to 6 miles for a long run. If you're running, um, you know. You can do the math. I don't need to do the math for you. Um, so just keep that in mind that that is a place where you can get a huge bang for your buck in terms of the time and energy that you put into it. I like to say every thirty minutes we see like a an exponential factor of improvement. Again, that is not <laughs> that is not scientifically based, but it seems to play out for many people. Thirty is. Important, 60 is a lot better. 90 is a lot, lot better. Two hours, there is a law of diminishing returns in there. But really in that zone of 90 minutes is where people get huge benefits, in my experience, from watching them um, train. And that's where the medium-long run comes in in sometimes. And so what's a medium-long run? A medium-long run is a run that's a little shorter than your long-run distance, but it's meant to be run really easy, and you're optimizing more of all those physiological benefits we talked about that happen with easy running. Any medium long running you're doing should have no quality in it at all. It should only be easy aerobic running, and it should be completely focused on just getting those oxygen, that oxygenation, and getting that aerobic development um, path, neural pathways working really, really well. Um, So let's go into a little bit of a case case test. Um, I have found in my experience of working with athletes that. Some folks who come to work with me have come out of the hanson's um, program they are they're using their online p- platform, and that platform um, suggests sixteen miles as the longest long run distance, occasionally twenty miles for marathoners, but never over twenty miles um, and I just don't understand the thinking behind this uh, in my experience. Um, I have seen so much of a benefit out of the long runs that I can't understand why someone would choose to limit those. Um, so I kind of gone through and done a little bit of homework on the on the this plan, and it is on Luke Humphreys' site, and I'll have a link to um, his particular blog post that he put about the um, the their reason for doing the sixteen miler, um, and he's got two basic arguments for it. The first is a time factor, so he's talking about here basically balancing the benefits of the aerobic of the aerobic development uh, get versus the structural damage that can happen on long runs. Um, I think that I'm not sure what documentation or what what studies he's looking at or what research he's looking at on how much structural damage happens on long runs. I, I don't know of that. I do know that there are that your red blood cells get get crushed pretty bad and that can be a problem for some people that they're that they end up with and that there's a load bearing issue with just constantly running long 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 runs um but i'm not sure of true structural damage except perhaps that people's biomechanics gets affected and they start falling apart and not running as well but i'm sure they've got great reasons for why they say there's structural damage so let's just assume that there are the benefits of aerobic development um are in in um Opposition to the structural damage that can happen, so their basic argument is that at three hours, you should stop. like three hours is l- long enough, and I agree that it is costly to go beyond the three hour mark. So if you're a four hour marathoner, you've got some hard choices to make. Um, anybody who's running sh- not a mar- not running a marathon and who runs a marathon in under three hours, um, you don't ever really need to go over the three hour mark. There's really not a whole lot of reason for that. Um, if, you're a, uh, if you're someone who is running, however, f- say four hours or four and a half hours or five hours for your marathon, then you've got some hard choices to make. And this is where the Hansen's model makes a little more sense to me, that you would limit it. So from this time factor, um, let's talk about this just a little bit. 9-minute mile pace for 16 miles is 2 hours and 24 minutes on the road. 9-minute mile pace for for 20 miles is 3 hours on the road. 11-minute mile pace for 16 miles is 2 hours and 56, so basically 3 hours. 11-minute mile pace for 20 miles is 3 hours and 40 minutes. Um, And then 12-minute mile pace is – 16 miles is 312, 3 hours and 12 minutes, and 20 miles is 4 hours, and so their argument basically is that you're going to get th- that it's too costly and you're going to get hurt, and so therefore they do not suggest going over that distance um, and I just don't I get that it costs something and that there might be some damage that can occur, but I think if you're running a marathon, you damn straight better do it like I just don't think that there's an argument now I do think that perhaps you only do one or two of these runs of. And I'm not saying 26 miles. In my opinion, 20 to 20, 22, 24, depending on your weather conditions because those are other things that can come into play if you're in a really hot weather conditions. Being out there for that long can be really damaging to the rest of your biological system. But I do think you need, if you want to be able to run 26.2 miles and you care about what your time is, you need to know what you're going to be going through. It's not so damaging that it would, that you can't get recovered from it and recuperated from it.
1: Well, I mean, certainly two, three, four times. doesn't mean you have to do it every single long run throughout the cycle. You build up to it. You do a few. Yeah, I would argue for
0: the four-hour marathoner that they only need to do one or two. And I I think that they're doing one or two for the reasons we talked about, to know what that load is going to feel like. Yeah, Because the ache and the pain is going to be there. And for some people... That th- to be in that space and not having had experienced it, it's really it's really challenging. It's it makes you want to quit and people walk where they didn't need to walk. What they could run through, they can't run through because they've never done it before. And so it's all brand new. And I, I think there's a big argument for that. In my experience, the more twenty milers you do, the easier it gets to do twenty milers. I mean, though that sounds logical, I don't need a lot of physiological evidence based Reasons for doing that, I've got enough anecdotal evidence, 25 years of coaching, and my own running experience to say those matter. But I do think that those people who are four hours plus have some tough decisions to make. And so I get that, but I would think you need to do at least one or two in a training cycle. And then, yeah, don't go over three hours, maybe three and a half hours if you're particularly resilient or if you're worried about the things that happen late in a marathon and you want to be prepared for it. Um, But again, Nobody should be doing 20-plus mile runs every week unless you're an ultramarathoner. I don't think you need that. I think you need, you know, I believe in a two-week-up, one-week-down stair step. I believe in getting a recovery time. And so I think that that benefits you. Kristen's saying no, but I think that's because she's basing that on her own anecdotal evidence. I'm not not
1: saying no. I'm looking out the window at this beautiful tree, ignoring you.
0: For the rest of you who weren't here, she had a thumbs-down motion that was going on. <laughs> That's our other button. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, and then so then the, the the other argument that the Hansons make is one based on percentage. So they talk about a percentage factor, which basically says that you want to keep your long run distance for twenty five to fifty twenty-five to thirty percent of your total weekly volume. And that once you get a and that lots of marathon programs are over fifty percent of their weekly volume, and you know, his Luke's argument is that, you know, hey, they're only running three or four times a week, and so because they're only running three or four times a week, maybe running three to five to six miles, that when they go out for a 20-mile run, that is a huge disproportionate number of the weekly miles that they run, and I get that they would probably benefit from um, getting more runs in and running more than four days a week or running longer on those four days a week, but here's the thing. Some people just can't. Some people don't have the time. Some people don't have the inclination. Some people are doing other activities. They might be doing CrossFit. They might be doing um, some other activity. They may be in yoga. It may be that this is where the time sits. That doesn't mean they can't run a marathon. Let me ask you a question. Just because you are only running four days a week, you're still going to keep your long run at 16 miles? That seems to be crazy. Now now you're absolutely guaranteeing you're not going to be ready for the race. So I don't see any argument for this 50% being terrible, except if your body's not ready to handle the load. I do agree with that. You know, if it's, your body has to be ready to handle the load, but you can slowly but surely ramp that volume up to where you can handle your long run a little bit better over that time. So, you know, ultimately, you all need to know, you need to listen to what your body says. And I'm not saying that that the Hanson's program and Luke Humphrey's is crazy. I'm not, I'm just saying I see a very, I see it from a very different perspective. And the experience that I have is that people benefit from these long runs. And I don't think that there's, I don't think that the arguments that they're making are compelling enough. Um, and I don't see enough evidence of them. However, for those of you who are the kind of people who break down in long runs. Yeah. Let's think about that. I have one athlete who I know, um, before I started working with her, a one on, um, Directly, she was in another program that I didn't coach. She um, went through an entire phase where she didn't go over 16 miles. I don't. I think she might have been influenced by the Hansons, um, and she ran some of her best. She did some of her best running, and <coughs> we've we've since I started working with her. She's a little older, and so she has this issue. She's 50 plus, so she has this issue of how her body recovers and responds from the long runs, and so we tr- we use them judiciously. We try to place them in in good spots where we think they'll benefit her, but not overwhelm her. Um, and we're still trying to run the traps. What's optimal for this particular athlete, given the race, they want to be a marathoner, and they know they need to get this load in, but how much does that load cost? So, you know, I'm I'm making some generalities here about what I think is beneficial for most people, Um, and I think that you need to take the weekly volume you run, you need to take your long run volume, you need to take your run goals, and you need to take the kind of body that you have and the kind of adapter that you are. Put all of those together and determine what the long run distance needs to be for you. But if you're a marathoner, I think you got to go over 16 miles. I think you got to go over 20 miles. I'm a strong believer Twenty multiple 20-plus 20 mile long runs are hugely beneficial and necessary for marathoners.
1: Especially in long-term development but that's a that's another topic for another day yeah and mitochondrial density and whatnot
0: (laughs) so are you um so let's talk just a little bit at the end here about um the experience of the long run sort of the church of the long run the
1: spiritual aspect yeah
0: the church of the long run aspect of it like what is going on there do you think like what is your experience of that
1: i think it's so different for each person and So different on each day, right? Like, and what's your job for that day? Like we just had this, Steve, you and I just had this awesome long run where we did um, this new thing that, that you have your athletes doing. Can I talk about that? Uh, Sure. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, We've been doing it for about, uh, about a year now. Yeah. Yeah. Mm Why?
1: I I mean new because I just started doing Yeah. (laughs) Um, anyway, they're called FLRs, fast long runs. Yeah, and I based
0: him off of Kipchoge's training when I saw how much Kipchoge was running 40, 40 uh, K runs, which is basically 23, 24 mile runs. And he was running them over really hilly, tough conditions, terrain. And he was running really close to his marathon goal pace at 90 to 95 percent of his yeah. marathon goal pace. And it was long, sustained runs. And I was like. You know, this is something that we don't do much in our American system. Yeah, so. and
1: it's been really cool too, you know, for a while you talked about a three pace range range for, you know, if you want to run like a let's say at a pace range from two fifty five to three oh five. So having those three pace ranges and throughout your training you might, depending on what the day is or how you're feeling, how you're recovered, you train somewhere in or around those paces and so for the fast long runs we've been doing about 90% of MGP and it's really easy to incorporate sort of naturally that three pace range thing Um, anyway but it's been really fun and it's been I think it takes a lot of the pressure off of you know sometimes you prescribe these workouts or coaches can prescribe these workouts that are a little bit complicated Not that that's a bad thing, but it's a nice change of pace to just know that you're going to run around this pace for this many miles and not worry about up, down, sets, things like that. And I don't know, I've been playing a lot with, with getting into flow lately, and I feel like there's this flow that you can just get into in a long run that when you're with the right group of people... It's, it's, it's like it transcends ordinary experience. It's like it's in its own way a very spiritual experience. Um, I had that with you this week, and then the week before with another one of our training partners slash your athletes, and you can have these conversations that are really deep. But then, you know, you're out there for three hours ish with the same people and your endorphins are flowing and you're in this space like I don't know
0: yeah there's a lot to go on with going what's going on neurochemically right they'll there are a lot of uh, they're telling us about what's happening with dopamine endorphins and how our receptors are benefiting from it feels all that like stuff. we're
1: on drugs the whole time basically
0: yeah and I, I you know I I don't really get that experience till I'm done like I I get this experience I guess it's happening when I'm running I, I have that but because I'm working hard I don't notice the – because even if I'm running slow, I'm working hard because after a certain distance, it starts to hurt, and it's not easy. And I have a tendency to try to find – like a horse, I try to find the barn. I try to pick the pace up as I go along. So I don't really notice those endorphins. So obviously, as when I finish and I'm just like flush all over, whatever conversation I'm having with the person next to me is some of the most – it's like it's like being high. I mean, there's it's really after a lot like mean? that. Yeah, it's like really is.
1: Yeah, Ben is. told me this morning I wasn't – I wasn't supposed to tell you this, but he said that you were glowing <laughs> on Saturday after the long run. Yeah,
0: I, I just think that that's sort of the that that endorphin buzz that happens afterwards is just there's nothing like it, and it takes for me at least it takes you know at least ninety minutes um, and and most often over two hours to get to that point. So anyway, there are some things we didn't talk about with long runs in terms of quality, how you might throw quality long runs. We'll save that for another day, maybe. And um, when we break down the kinds of training that somebody might do for a marathon specific prep, but um, yeah, that's our episode this week. Uh, we um, will be at with you next week with another episode. Thanks for joining us and um, have a great training week.